All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. We went through the life of Elijah, and now we're on to the life of Elisha. And again, I hope it's a help and a blessing to you as we look through these prophets' lives. And uh, I, I certainly have enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed the life of Elijah, and uh, I'm looking forward to the life of Elisha. And it seems like we're going over some of the same material, but really, as I explained last week, we're looking at it from a different perspective. So when we looked at some of this material, we looked at it from Elijah's perspective of him uh, actually uh, going and finding Elisha and, uh, and then, of course, calling him and bringing him along with him. And then uh, in this passage, we're going to look at when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. And uh, we're looking at it now from Elisha's perspective. And, uh, and what, a, what an interesting thing as we look at, because uh, this is actually just after that whirlwind. And this is actually the commencement of Elisha's ministry. And we kind of looked at a little bit of this, uh, but it will overlap a little bit. So look with me in, in 2 Kings chapter number 2. And verse number 11. And the Bible says, And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the God, the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also, when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view, to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, "The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha." And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, Ye shall not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send, they sent thereof fifty men, and they sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, as we study the life of Elisha. I pray that you'd give us open minds, open hearts, Father, to accept what you have. And God, I pray that you would uh, just uh, use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that we would learn uh, about Elisha as he starts his ministry. And God, may we be encouraged 
in the ministry that we're doing or whether uh, maybe we need to start a ministry and, and get involved in something. I pray, Father, that you would encourage, strengthen, and help each and every believer. And God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at Elisha and the start of his ministry, the commencement, uh, really, uh, Elisha's uh, recorded ministry starts immediately after Elijah is taken up. And no doubt Elijah's, Elisha's ministry, in my mind, started even before that uh, because he was privately uh, following around Elijah and learning and growing and even ministering unto Elijah. And so in my mind, he actually started, but this is the start of his public ministry. And so, uh, listen, sometimes we get caught up and think, well, you know, we just jump out and start. No, there's, there's always a good deal of private uh, grounding and private learning that takes place before anyone even goes out and attempts something uh, that is ministry in a public view. Jesus was the same way. Matter of fact, uh, he didn't start his ministry until after his baptism. And, uh, and even then, the Bible says that he went out into a wilderness for 40 days and was tempted uh, and, and he spent time, you say, what do you do in the wilderness for 40 days? You spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, you don't have your iPhone with you. You don't check your email. You don't check your social media accounts. Uh, you shut all of that off, and, and it's just you and God. Uh, and you say, Pastor, I don't think they had iPhones back then. I agree with you. I don't think they did either. Uh, I don't think they had social media either. But uh, the point is you get away from everything, and you get alone with God. And, uh, and Elisha uh, spent time with Elijah being trained and growing and learning and serving. What an important part. Matter of fact, sometimes people think, oh, the guy that, uh, that stands up front, he's the guy that's important. No, listen, Jesus said it this way when his disciples were kind of arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus said it this way, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. In other words, hey, there's... We, in our mind, think, oh, uh, you know, the, the guy that serves, he's not important. No, Jesus had it the other way around. Jesus said, hey, he who serves is the most important. And the servant is the greatest among you. Matter of fact, if you look at Jesus' life, what was Jesus' life? He didn't come to be king over Israel. He didn't come to be king of the universe. He is king of the universe. He is king over everything. But you look at his life. What was his life? It was that of servitude. It was that of coming to the world and serving uh, us so that we could be saved. Uh, and in essence, giving himself sacrificially. You look at the miracles. What did he do? Well, he healed people. He helped people. He served people. He was constantly ministering and helping other people. He served. Uh, he had the greatest example of servitude uh, of all of us. So I think Elisha, his ministry actually started prior to this, but we'll start this as his commencement of his public ministry. And I want you to notice uh, the first thing that we'll see is the translation of Eli Elijah. Elijah. Uh, the translation and no, I'm not talking about lingu linguists, linguistics, okay? We're talking about uh, being actually translated from, from earth up to heaven or uh, taking and going up. Uh, and I want you to notice the suddenness of it. Look, as we read there in verse number 11, this is interesting. It says, And it came to pass 
as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Isn't that interesting? Boy, it was sudden. I mean, here they are. They're walking and talking, uh, and they're, they're just kind of conversing as they go. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, perhaps out of heaven, uh, drops this fiery uh, chariot and horses and, and just kind of parts them both. Maybe they look back to see what was coming. Uh, maybe it came front on. I don't know. And, and they saw it, and they're like, whoa, and they get out of the way of that horse and chariots. And as they do, man, Elijah then is carried up to heaven. The Bible is very clear by a whirlwind. And uh, could you imagine the suddenness of that? I mean, you're just walking. Maybe you're mid-sentence. Maybe you're in the middle of a deep conversation. Maybe Elisha had asked questions of Elijah, knowing, hey, this is drawing end. Uh, and and I, need to, I need to, man, I'm not quite ready. There's still some information I need to get. And maybe he had asked a question and Elijah was in the middle of answering that question. And boom, he's gone. And there's no opportunity even to hear the answer or get the explanation. He's just, all of a sudden, he's no longer there. And it was a very sudden parting. It was a very abrupt thing that took place. Man, I read that and I thought, uh, boy, that's how the, the trumpet of the Lord's going to be. That's how our coming, that's how, boy, you talk about a picture of the rapture. I mean, he was carried up by a whirlwind. I mean, uh, that's how abrupt and how quick uh, the, the, the rapture is going to take place. And I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. I mean, the fact that, hey, we're going to be carried out of here instantaneous. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Let me stop right there. I know that's in the nursery a lot, okay? Uh, I know, but that's not really talking about babies and sleeping and being changed, okay? It's talking talking about us, praise the Lord. But we, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Listen to this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been able to time the twinkling of an eye. I mean, it just happens. We used to have this game uh, back when, when I had a, a regular watch, not this digital watch. And, uh, and, and I had, we used to get this stopwatch. And we, or the game was uh, you could press it and press it again and have the least amount of time on that, on that, uh, on that stopwatch. And uh, so there's a good time. There's a, that's what we did before TV and video games and all that. Uh, I, we had TV growing up. I did not have TV, but, um, but that's what we did. And, and it was a fun game. And, and usually I think when we were traveling or something, and, and I think the lowest ever anyone ever had was like 0.01 of a second. And I think it was a mere accident or a, a, a mistake in the switch because I don't think uh, they actually pressed it. Usually it was like, uh, you know, 10 uh, tenths of a second, uh, something like that. And so, uh, so it was 0.1, not 0.01. And so, uh, so it was pretty impressive. That's fast. Hey, listen, the coming of the Lord is going to be instantaneous. I mean, could you imagine? I don't know. I, I'm not 
advocating that these videos are right, but I've seen these videos that, that people have put out and, and they're like, they show, you know, people just sitting in church and then, then they have boom and it sounds kind of like a lightning and then the, the place is empty, maybe one or two that are there. And, and uh, hey, listen, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I can tell you what the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Hey, just like Elisha and Elijah were parted very abruptly and the suddenness of Elijah being taken home and praise the Lord, uh, we look forward to that. You can't hardly read that passage and not think of the picture of the rapture. And so what an exciting thing that that, that was sudden that it took place. Uh, I want you to notice not just the suddenness of it, but you remember in our, our passage last week, uh, Elijah told Elisha, if you see me when I go, then I'm going to give you a promise. And, uh, and listen, Elisha saw it. He was there and he was standing right there and he watched as Elijah uh, was taken up. And, uh, and man, I mean, what a sight to behold that a man would just be uh, carried up into heaven in a whirlwind. I've often thought about Jesus as he was leaving with his disciples and in the book of Acts he's standing there and, uh, and all of a sudden uh, I think that, that might have been a little slower because I think he just kind of started floating up and, and all of a sudden the Bible says that he disappeared in the clouds and then um, somebody, I think it was an angel if my memory serves me right, says, men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? I could see them with their mouths open, just staring. You know, there's Jesus just, he, he just floated out of here. He just disappeared and they're just kind of looking. And, uh, and they contemplated that. And I'm sure that was a sight to behold. I'm sure that was something that stayed in their minds. And listen, with Elisha, hey, listen, it, it, was, it was something that he beheld very closely. Is Elijah and Elisha were there walking and talking and all of a sudden he was taken up. But I, I tell you what, he had a front row seat. And he knew exactly what took place. He watched every bit of it. And, uh, and he was very, uh, he had a great view being right there. Listen, why did that great view happen? It, it happened, as we talked about last week, because of great dedication. Elisha said, hey, I want to be with you. I want to be with you every second. I don't want to leave your side because I want to see and I want to be with you. Um, then think about this, and we talked about this as well last week, but uh, that the, the prophet's sons and how they were gazing from afar off. Hey, hey listen, they weren't near as blessed. Uh, they, they weren't in the action. They weren't right there. And uh, I was reminded as I was thinking about that, I remember going to baseball games when we were kids, and uh, I went to see the Cincinnati Reds. We lived down in Dayton, Ohio. And, and, uh, and as we'd go there, uh, we always got the, they were called nosebleed section. You sat so high in the stadium uh, that it looked like little ants down there playing baseball. You know, I mean, if you didn't have a pair of binoculars, you couldn't see anything that was going on. But it was cheap and, uh, and easy to, to do. And so uh, we'd go to some of those games. Man, you couldn't hardly see any of the action. And I've been to a few games. I enjoy uh, some, some baseball. I don't go a lot, but I've uh, uh, been to a couple of the Akron, Akron games here, local games. And, man, I, I like to get right down there and sit right behind home plate. Number one, I like that big fence there that guards me and protects me because I don't want to get hit by a baseball. But I love the view, man. You watch them pitches come in. You watch them as they hit it out to the field and, and those guys catch it. I like to be able to see all of that. Listen, uh, Elijah or Elisha 
had a great view of Elijah and him being translated. Why? Because he stayed close to him. As I started thinking about that, I thought, boy, we need to stay close to the Lord. You think about all the disciples. You think about all the miracles they witnessed. You think about the many times that they were right there with him. And they saw things that nobody else saw. Why? Because they were close to the Lord. Hey, listen, stay close to the Lord. And you'll see things that other people will not see. You'll have a blessing in being close to the Lord. He saw it. It was sudden. I love this in verse number 12. Look at there. He says, and Elisha saw it. That's where we get saw it. And he cried, my father, my father. I want you to notice his speaking when Elijah was taken up. He said, the words he said there twice, my father, my father. You know what that tells me? That Elisha loved Elijah like his own flesh and blood. He counted him as a father to him. Now, Elisha had a father. You remember uh, before he was, when he was called, um, he, he said, hey, let me, uh, let me go back and, and kiss my mother and kiss my father. And he loved his parents. He had good parents and he was raised in a good home and, and he certainly appreciated. So I'm not saying that he didn't have a good father. He had a good father. But listen, he also loved Elijah in, in saying, hey, my father, my father. In other words, hey, I, I absolutely love uh, this man of God and I admire him. And I enjoy spending time with him. And for Elijah, uh, it was something special to be that close to the man of God and see him and spend time with him. Look at verse number 12 as well. He says, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more. And, and listen, it says, And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. You say, what does that mean? Well, rent means uh, to rip, okay? Uh, and so he ripped his clothes into pieces. What was that a sign of? Well, uh, to us, we're like, well, that's weird. You know, you do that when you're angry. You do that when you're mad. Uh, the custom and the, the, the way that they would do things, especially in the Old Testament, was uh, they would rip it out of a sadness, and it always showed sorrow. It was an expression of, of saying, man, uh, you know, the man of God is gone, and I'm not going to see him. It says right there, and he saw him no more. And listen, we see the sorrowing. It's an expression of sadness. It was a great loss, uh, the, the man of God. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with sorrowing the loss of somebody. Uh, matter of fact, you should feel sorrow. Uh, when, when somebody uh, passes on and they go to heaven and, and we love them and appreciate them, hey, we're going to sorrow. There's nothing wrong with, with sorrowing, uh, missing somebody. They're, that's perfectly normal, and I don't want you to think it's wrong. Uh, and we see here that Elisha sorrowed the loss uh, of Elijah. Uh, listen, it was a great personal loss to Elisha that, that the man of God was taken and was gone. Uh, but listen, it was also a great loss to the nation of Israel that the man of God was lost, was taken. Uh, not that he was not reemplaced, but listen, uh, Elijah's ministry was very strong in the nation of Israel, and uh, and we saw that. And so we see his translation that he was taken up. I want you to see the traversing of of Elisha as we're thinking about this from Elisha's perspective. 
And, and I love this portion of Scripture. With the great loss of Elijah, uh, he didn't waste any time getting busy and starting ministry. And, uh, and, and as he came over that Jordan River, we talked about the fact that it, uh, it really wasn't that big and he probably could have got across it. But nonetheless, when Elijah came over, he took his mantle and he smote that river of Jordan and the waters parted and he went over on dry ground. And we talked about the fact that, hey, Elisha saw the miracles that were done personally in the life of Elijah that perhaps nobody else saw. The sons of the prophets stood afar off. They probably didn't not see it. Well, now we come full circle and Elisha is the only guy left. Elijah's gone. And here he comes to the very first thing in his life that he's saying, man, uh, Elijah uh, smote this with his mantle and the waters parted. Look with me in verse number 13. And we see his supplication as we see his traversing of the river Jordan. The Bible says, And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Now I want you to notice this. We'll go with me to verse 14. And he took the mantle of Elijah and that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Here's Elijah. I want you to picture this with me. As we contemplate the scriptures, he's walking and talking with Elijah and all of a sudden a chariot comes and he has to move out of the way and perhaps Elijah moved to that side and this whirlwind catches Elijah and takes him up to heaven and as he's ascending, perhaps it blew off him, we don't know the circumstances, but all of a sudden here's this, uh, this mantle of a, a Elijah that's laying there on the ground. I don't think... Elisha noticed it at first. I mean, all the action, he, he's so busy noting Elijah ascending up into heaven, he probably didn't even realize. And, and after he's done staring at heaven and looks down and he sees, there's the mantle of Elijah. So he reaches down and he grabs it. And he's going, and as he's going, he arrives there at the, the River Jordan. Boy, what do you think's going through his mind as he's standing there? He's thinking, you know what? Elijah smote this river with this very mantle and the God of heaven parted the waters and he went across on dry ground. And we see that uh, Elisha, he uh, has his supplication, that's the prayer, and says, hey, uh, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And listen, uh, I want you to notice a couple things about this. I want you to notice the brevity. It was not a long prayer. Sometimes we think uh, prayers are, need to be long and drawn out and, 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 and all of that. Listen, they don't have to. If there's one thing you can learn about the life of Elijah and Elisha, that listen, a short call out to God is often very efficient. We find Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? That was his prayer. It was not a long prayer. It was not a, uh, a fancy prayer. Uh, it, it was not, it certainly didn't meet all the stipulations that we would consider of prayer, but it was a earnest, heartfelt cry out to God that was short and it was very much so answered. And we see that. Not only that, but I want you to notice uh, in his supplication the brevity, but I want you to notice the broadening. Hey, listen, it's time for Elisha to step up 
to the plate. Elijah's not around. And I remember, uh, I've said this before, I know, but I remember going to Bible college. And when I went to Bible college, man, I was on my own. And I thought, you know, I wasn't living under my parents' roof. And I, I thought, man, this is the first time, you know, I'm on my own. And, and uh, I remember, man, you know, I'd go to the little mailbox and get mail and get a letter from my mom and dad. Man, that was exciting. And get this and get that. And, and I remember the first time I went to the mailbox, opened it up and opened it up. I was like, what's this? I don't know what this is. And, and all of a sudden it says, you owe money, hundreds of dollars to this due date, you have to pay this by this date. And it was Shane Rice. And I thought, this is not my dad's name. This is my bill. All of a sudden, I, I'm responsible. I had bills at home too. I paid my own car insurance. But, but it was like, there was, there was, you know, there was nowhere to turn. I mean, uh, I had to pay for these things. And I remember think, realizing and understanding in Bible college, hey, that, that this same idea of Elisha, where is the God of my dad? Where is the God of my fathers? Where is the God of my Sunday school teacher? Where is the God of my pastor? Now it's time for him to become my God. And now it's time for me to spend time in prayer and depend upon God like, like he's my God, not my dad's God, not my pastor's God, not my Sunday school teacher's God, but my God. And I had to step up to the plate and say, hey, listen, I've got bills and I've got to work jobs and I've got to be responsible and I've got to call on God myself uh, so that I can have these things all taken care of. And I remember growing in Bible college and, and saying, hey, I need to be dependent upon God. Listen, we've all got to come to that place in our life where God uh, is no longer the God of Elijah. It's no longer the God of our pastor or of our church, but he's a very personal and real God to you personally. We find that in Elisha's life. It was a broadening. It was time for him to step up to the plate. It's time for the next generation uh, to step up to the plate and say, hey, uh, he needs to be your God. And so it was a very broadening moment for, for Elijah or Elisha. Uh, and then also I want you to notice this. I love this in this prayer. It was a moment of believing. We had, uh, since I'm talking about college, we would often have people in college raise their hand. Hey, pray for me. I'm trying to find a job. Pray for me every week. Three weeks, four weeks, pray for me, I'm trying to find a job. Finally, uh, somebody went to them and asked them, said, how many applications have you filled out? Because you see them in the dorm all the time playing around. They're not, 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 not doing anything. And Well, they hadn't filled out any application. Well, I'm praying for you if you ain't filling out no applications. You, you pray on your own and see if God provides you a job. If, you're not, if there's not feet to your prayer, if you're not doing something, trying to get it done, then forget it, man. You're on your own, buddy. I ain't praying for that. And uh, listen, Elisha's prayer, he didn't walk up to the Jordan and say, where is the God of Elijah and stare at the Jordan River? No, no, no. His actions were really the way it's worded there in that verse were pretty simultaneous with his actions. In other words, as he takes that mantle that was Elijah's mantle and he smites the waters uh, almost in fluid motion as he does all of that, he's saying, where is the God of Elijah? Hey, is, is that same God going to work for me? Is he going to perform for me as he performed for Elijah? And certainly we see that it, he did, but he believed God would do something. He didn't just walk up to the Jordan and say, 
I sure hope God does something. No, no, no. He was active. Uh, and listen, uh, many times we need to put feet to our prayers. Sometimes we, uh, I'm reminded of the joke. I, I was telling jokes when I was in Israel, and I said, I only have 10 jokes. And, uh, and so I might have told this one before, but, uh, but laugh anyways, because it's only, uh, you don't get many jokes from me. But uh, uh, I'm reminded of the man who, who was on the rooftop, and, uh, and it was a flood coming, and, and he's praying. He said, Lord, please save me. And, uh, and pretty soon a boat came by and, and, and said, hey, buddy, these floodwaters are continuing to rise. And he said, why don't you get on the boat? And he said, oh, no, no, I'm praying and the Lord's going to save me. He said, well, suit yourself. He took off. Man, the, the floodwaters keep going up and, and he's got to the very highest point of the roof and they're starting to hit his ankles. And pretty soon another boat comes by and he said, hey, buddy, why don't you get on the boat? And, and, he, and he said, no, no. He said, I'm praying the Lord's going to save me and, uh, and, and, and that's OK. Don't worry about it. And so the boat said, well, suit yourself. And he leaves. Pretty soon the, the floodwaters are all the way up to his knees and to his waist. He's praying, Lord, save me, save me. And, and a helicopter comes by and drops the rope down and, and, uh, and calls down to him, grab hold of the rope and we'll save you. And the guy says no and he waves him away. Floodwaters come up, the guy dies, gets to heaven. He said, God, I prayed, why didn't you save me? He said, you dummy, I sent three things along. You didn't bother using any of them. It's your own fault. And, you know, sometimes we're like that. We don't use any practical means and we're saying, well, we're looking for God to do something, but we don't bother trying or do something on our own. Hey, listen, if we're going to pray, we ought to put feet to our prayers. There's something to be said for believing God and doing something about it. Many times in the Bible, you see people acting in faith. I love the passage where the priests come up to the Jordan River and the Bible says, that, that God's going to part that Jordan River, but he's not going to part it until they actually get their feet wet. Amen. They actually had to step out into the waters before God bothered parting those waters. And what I'm just simply saying is time and time again, God says, hey, you have faith, you believe God, but you do something with your faith as well. And sometimes we have to step out by faith. Sometimes we have to do something. Elijah's, Elisha's prayer was a prayer in faith. And we see that, uh, that it was answered. I want you to notice the smiting of the water. Listen, uh, that was his personal faith. And I want you to notice the separating of the water. That's the first miracle uh, that Elisha performed, that, uh, those, that river opened up. It was a personal river. It was not a public miracle was not for everyone else. This was something that God did for Elisha on a personal level to show him, Elisha, I'm your God, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to be there for you. And so uh, we see the traversing. I want you to notice this, the troublesome sons of the prophets. And we talked a little bit about this. I won't expound on it more, uh, but I do want you to notice this, uh, that they were there. And they, they come to Elisha after he crosses that Jordan River and they say, hey, we need to send out uh, some people to, to find Elijah. Listen, no ministry or leadership of position is ever occupied without opposition. Sometimes we think, I remember I thought this when I started deputation. 
and things, we jumped out and, and we were doing deputation. And we thought, man, everything's going to go smoothly. And man, I remember it was not smooth. Matter of fact, we hit pothole after pothole after problem after difficulty uh, after problem. And, and, and I remember thinking, God, I, I don't quite understand. I thought, you know, we were serving you and I thought we were stepping out by faith and we're exercising our faith and we're doing these things that I thought things would go well and things did not go well. Matter of fact, things got really hard. And uh, listen, any place in ministry where you step out uh, and anything that you try to do for the Lord is going to face opposition in this life. It is. And sometimes we think, well, it shouldn't, but we do. And, and we see the troublesome sons of the prophets. I want you to notice they're coming. And they came right up to Elijah. Look with me in verse number, uh, let's see, we stop there at verse number 14. Verse number 15. And when the sons of the prophets were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest upon El on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Isn't it interesting? They came out and, and they show all of this respect. They say, Elisha, man, the, the spirit of Elijah now rests upon you. And they bowed and they, they did him great honors. And, and they came and, and listen, as you read down through here, you'll find it was a farce. It, they didn't mean anything by it. Uh, they were just going through all the motions because it was what was expected of them. Hey, listen, there are some people who just go through the motions and they don't really mean what, what they, they're doing. You say, why do you say that about them? Well, listen, look at what they do. I want you to notice, uh, we won't read it for sake of time, but they urged him, the Bible says there in verse number 17, until he was ashamed. In other words, they told Elisha, they said, hey, we have some strong men, we're going to send them out to look for Elijah. Uh, and, and Elisha says, no, one word answer, no, period. That's all it was. He said, no. He didn't give any reason, he just said, no. But you know what? They continued to press him. They continued to say, why wouldn't you, what, what sense does it make not to send them out? And, and with logic and with strength, because the Bible says there were 50 strong men. In other words, they were saying, hey, these guys are strong, man. They can endure the wilderness. They can go out there and, and they're tough, man. They can battle through. And, and they were putting all kinds of, uh, of importance on physical aspects that were not as important as things that were spiritual. And Elisha said, no, but they continued to press him. And finally, they went. But I want you to notice their, their creed. Because if you look at it in verse number 16, look at what it, their, their reasoning is. And they said to him, Behold now, there be with thy servant, here it is, 50 strong men, we talked about that. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Look at here. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. There's something wrong with that view of God. That God would just grab up Elijah, carry him out of Elijah, Elisha's sight, and then throw him down on some mountain. That is a, a, a crazy belief and view of God. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the way God treats his servants. That's not the way that God deals with his children. And to think that 
it just is, is kind of mind-blowing, and they have a very uh, crooked view of God in their belief system. But nonetheless, they compel Elisha because they continue to press him. Listen, some people will press and press and press, and you will tell them no and no and no. And you know what? They are just simply not going to learn unless they get their way and go and find out, oh, well, that was, a, that was a mistake. And you want to say, I told you so. But we often just bite our tongue and say, well, you know, that's kind of what we said in the beginning. You didn't need to go. It was pointless. But Elisha told them no, and they pressed. And I don't think it was a, uh, I don't think it was a compromise on Elisha's part. He had already told them no so much as it was, hey, you're stubborn. You know what? Do whatever you want. I've often said one of the saddest and hardest things in the ministry is that you cannot make people to do right. You can, you can talk to them. You can reason with them. You can pray for them. You can give them scripture. You can preach. You can teach the word of God. But in the end, every person is going to do what they decide to do, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. And, and sometimes that's heart-wrenching for a pastor. Sometimes that's heart-wrenching for a parent. Sometimes that's heart-wrenching for, uh, for people who know what is right and, and try and convince people to do what is right, but you can't force people to do what is right. We find that case in Elisha's case here as well. He said, no, don't send them. But these, these sons of the prophets, obviously, were not going to listen. And they were going to do what they wanted to do. And they did. And we find that they came up empty. There was nothing. Why? Because God had carried Elisha, Elijah all the way up to heaven. And he was gone. God took care of his servant as God will do. And so we see that uh, there was trouble uh, with those sons of the prophets. Listen, sometimes in ministry, sometimes in serving the Lord, sometimes in doing what is right, you'll run into trouble. You'll run into problems. It doesn't mean that God's not with you. It doesn't mean that God's not helping you. Uh, it just means that, hey, sometimes there is opposition. There is problems. There is difficulties. But we continue serving the Lord faithfully. God will take care of it. God will provide. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the life of Elisha. We thank you for his example, God, and his faithfulness, and God, how he grew, and how he prayed, and how he trusted you, and how he believed you. God, may that be an inspiration to us. May that help us. May that encourage us to do right. And God, he didn't have an opposition-free uh, ministry. He faced opposition in his life. He faced problems. He faced difficulties. But God, he continued just to walk with you. And to be faithful. God, I pray that you would help us. Help our faith to grow. Help us to step out by faith and pray. And trust you as our own personal God. You're a very real God. You're a very personal God. And Father, we thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd bless, encourage, and strengthen each and every person here this morning. Father, we'll thank you for that. And we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open. You can pray there in your seat. You can pray at the altar, whatever the need.
We need to trust God in our life. We need to follow Him. Sometimes there's opposition, yes. Sometimes there's difficulty.